0: Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Director of IBM Digital Assets and CTO of Portal Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, and welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin, a program dedicated to most things not Bitcoin in this enormous space of digital assets. And with me today, like normal, is our friend and colleague, Nitin Gower. Hello, Nitin.
1: Hey, Derek. Good to be here. Exciting topic. And I happen to be in beautiful Barcelona. So a little bit more about that in a few. Oh,
0: you lucky thing. I'm so envious. But the topic tonight is nearly as delicious as the food is. Uh, in sure. Barcelona. So, you know, reasonably spicy, plenty of, plenty of fat, and it's got sh- it's got salt on it too. Um, so let's <laughs> let's have a l- little look at that. So, you know, I've often said that this economy is so extraordinarily integrated that really one thing effectively doesn't work very well or at all without the other. And what you want to bring together today is a discussion about Web 3.0, decentralized finance, and how that works in this massively growing and fast expanding metaverse. Fascinating topics. But for all of us who are just early into this space and are as intrigued as we are, and we're going down that hole, how about starting off by just giving us a clear definition of what each one of those things are, and then we can go from there.
1: Yeah, no, that's brilliant. Um, And I've been, as you know, Derek, thinking a lot about this topic in terms of one, valuation criteria is how do we understand what gives anything a value in this in this sort of vast ecosystem and ever-growing ecosystem yeah. so if you were to look into a quick definition then we can go dive deeper into you know how we frame this is we had web 1.0 where we simply consumed content we had web 2.0 which is Facebook and Twitter and Instagram where we were creators of content on these centralized platforms and they let us share our perspectives and made this amazing human connections and that fueled a lot of our synergies in terms of how we you know collab you know, collab, you know uh, collaborate in terms of our talents but we were never able to monetize it so all the content we became the product and we begin to see now the 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 downfall of web2 where suddenly now privacy is an issue and 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 decentralized platforms have become ever growing too big to fail tech companies yes, uh, which yes. has been brought to question in terms of the overall genesis of our you know, humanity as to what we are driving the forces behind the data and creation of this content. And Web3O aims to bridge the gap in bringing creator-led economies. And what that means is that me as a creator of content, it could be as simple as a LinkedIn post or a video that I create on TikTok, an ability for me to monetize it. So these are the economies that is driven by You know, and at a very basic level, it's driven by our participation and and Web3 is a broad catch all term to empower the user who's creating the content, empower the user who is digitally interacting with the system and bringing their talents. Because not everybody is good at videos and I'm certainly terrible at those, but I have some talents and we all have some talents and how do we bring that to this? And that fundamentally changes not just the monetization business models around the digital content. Uh, but it also changes the you know the the ability for us to uh, monetize our work so that leads to future of work conversations and that's web 3.0 in general which is empowering all of us who are interacting with the, you know with the digital media moving to decentralized finance and they all are linked and we'll talk about that and you know decentralized finance is uh, essentially decentralizing the financial constructs borrowing lending uh, you know and collateralizing and bring the financialization of the participative economics. So, which means that if I'm interacting on this web 30, you know, model, and I'm able to contribute to the web by, by by providing my videos or providing code, providing smart contracts, financial advice, I am extracting value from it in terms of some token, because that's one way to manifest value. And I would like to then utilize what I earn into this, Sort of, you know, financialization of the part, of, you know, our, the, uh, the tokens that I earn, and represent the value derived from a participation in that decentralized financing world. So, at the very basic level, you're decentralizing compute, which is fueling the new ecosystem, the new business models around it, and then that leads to what the hell is metaverse, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we oftentimes uh, we talk about the virtual world and associated with gaming. Uh, virtual reality, and, you know, we had, you know, back in the day, we had what we call Second Life, and by the way, my company was involved, I, I worked for IBM, and it was involved in, in sort of creating the ability to create virtual avatars and experiences. It was clunky, it relied upon your arrows to move, uh, and virtual reality-like modalities will improve the experience, but, at the, at, you know, the, the term metaverse has its origin from, as we all know, 1992 science fiction novel, Snow Crash as the Porto Mantua of like of meta and universe. And some metaverse iteration involves integration between the virtual world, the physical spaces or the virtual economies. And the massive increase in demand for metaverse development is often linked with sort of merging the, the digital realm and the physical world that we live in. That is the fundamental premise of it. So you can see how they're interlinked and intertwined that we begin to now look at this and saying, I'm going to create things of value in this virtual world. I want to be able to exchange value. I want to be able to uh, bring my talent to this in in a whole different way of, of monetizing and giving power to the creators. Uh, those are the conceptual elements. So I'll take a pause here, Derek. Love to get your thoughts on on see if this made sense at all.
0: So this is a classic example of, you know, the the, the sum of the numbers is, is less than the, the greater is is greater yeah. than the sum of the numbers. It's just... What happens when you get, um, you know, the the decentralized web or the somatic web or Web 3.0, which enables your own personalized interaction with the the internet? It enables access to data and data sets greater than currently Web 2.0 provides because that Web 2.0, most of the big data sets are owned by big corporations and and big infrastructure. Web 3.0 means it's all available. And it also enables artificial intelligence. Just imagine how unpredictable in regards to its growth and how it's going to be when you've got something that you can personalize, has artificial intelligence, you can access the vast majority of data. You then connect that with a, I'm getting excited, but you then connect (laughs) that with decentralized finance. um, And you put that into the world of of a metaverse and you've got business models that we would never have thought of before. And opportunities and enabling that could never have occurred before because of the power of this great big data set that Web 3.0 is going to be able to access and your own way of being able to monetize it and be paid within DeFi. You know, the more I think about this, I'm just wondering whether those large banks could be converted into apartment buildings or something (laughs) else, because their time is limited, really, whether it's limited to a decade or two decades um decentralized finance is enormously powerful so I that's my my sort of sense of the fact that this is so unpredictable but Nitin what we know about metaverse right now and what we are seeing happening in it um do you see there's going to be a merging between metaverse and augmented reality and and what is called you know real world or traditional finance all in this incredible when these incredible platforms are getting created
1: yeah, no, I, I think your assertion of what the only term I can think of is exponential. One plus one is not three, one plus one is 11 in this case. And I'll give you an example of, of articulating this intertwined nature of Web3 or DeFi and and Metaverse is you have a layer one protocol, let's call it you know Ether or Ethereum, which has a token. And then you have Filecoin, which is decentralizing the ability for you to store files, which is what we use, Dropbox, or you use Box, or we use enterprise systems to store our files, Google files, and so on and so forth. But this way it allows people to dedicate the compute resources to store and provide things like high availability and better speeds and so on and so forth. Your assertion about data. So while data is stored in these these, these, these decentralized infrastructures, you have something called graph. Graph allows for people to bring their AI knowledge and curate the AI knowledge based on some data that's stored in some file. Hmm. And then you have things like EEL or Yearn, which is EEL aggregators, who are utilizing these AI models. So you can see as to how the entire tokenomic system, which is is inclusive of all the underlying layers. So whatever, as as any ecosystem that's relying upon these different decentralized services, while each of those layers are uh, sort of supported and you know, the, the, the talent that's, that's doing these things are coming from the, the broader ecosystem. Uh, the higher level tokens are inclusive of the value of lower level tokens. It's like paying for these services that you are storing the files and storing data in a decent class system. You're using a decent class AI models and you're deriving insights. And while you buy that service, you're paying for all the underlying services exactly similar to our existing sort of web two O economy. So the linkage is there. And if you were to look at some of the headlines, right? And this is where Derek, have spent some significant amount of time as we have discussed at Portal is what gives token its value. So understanding yes. financial services in Metaverse and overall, how do we frame the valuation? And if you were to look at some of the example that has made headlines. So for example, uh, f- f- last month, JPMC had a lobby in, in a, or a bank in Metaverse. Barbados opened its embassy in Metaverse. Um, and if you look at these digital analogs of existing network of services, you know, visa and, and bank and visa as in, as an uh, something you need to to, uh, to cross borders. I, I question the innovation as we imagine a digital interaction and modality around it. Why are we limiting our thinking to opening a lobby in Metaverse? Do I really need a lobby in Metaverse? Because we are dealing with the true sense of what digital interaction is, right? So if I look at blockchain fundamental tenants is extending this thinking of trade, trust, and ownership are three sort of construct what DLT systems are meant to provide. Um, Are we providing adequate tokenized services and are we embedding trust or simply embarking on modalities of user experience? And this question has led me to think more and more in terms of what is true digital finance in this context? Uh, But the framing is there. and, And more importantly, I think in this metaversical sense, uh, if I can use the term, and by the way, I just coined a term, right, a right. word, well, uh, it's, it doesn't exist. <laughs> that's, but a, it's, that's a great term. <laughs> you you know, as that you have this NFTs, and you begin to see now like the recent merger of Yuga Labs and Larva Labs last Friday, biggest in history. And the question I ask is, again, framing, the, framing of the valuation of these new world corporate structures and valuation, what does it mean? It, you know, it's become so ephemeral and ethereal that we need to take a step back and apply some fundamental framework or not, because we are disrupting the financial world, which, which to me is is truly, as you mentioned, Derek, changing of that business model, changing of the way we have traditionally done business, and thinking about it differently. Certainly disruptive, uh, and in any like any disruption has some destructive value. In it, but it's constructive destruction that it it it'll morph into something meaningful. So I would like to spend some time on understanding financialization and what does digital finance mean in the space. But I'll take a pause. And love to see if that resonates with your thinking, Derek.
0: What what's interesting is we've often talked before is that human beings can't help themselves but to operate tribally. They they can't help it. And what we're creating here is the whole variety of tribes, whether it happens to be in a metaverse or whether it happens to be a sovereign state wrapped around a blockchain and the the industries are getting built from it. And I wonder whether this, this transfer of traditional knowledge and ways of doing things into metaverse is just what we're seeing here with the establishment of an embassy, um, you know, in, in the metaverse. Is it is it something that might just we'll see happen? We'll see these traditional overlays of business models and strategies getting put in place, and they'll just die if they're not useful. They'll just step away <laughs> if they're not useful. Um, and new business models that have possibly no grounding, in traditional business models, because they're, because they're distribution frictionless, will appear and we'll then just have to get our head around, how do you measure the value of those new business models? I, okay. I think that's the way it, it's it's going to head. That's a lot of experiments and interesting things that will happen and and some will some will um, succeed and some won't. Um, but the question is, which ones and, and why? Um,
1: yeah, you no, know, that's profound, and I, I agree. I think some of these are again the laws of survival of the fittest and demand and supply. They still apply to just having a lobby in metaverse and un- unable to do any businesses in that lobby doesn't mean anything. Which means that as we evaluate every token, and we have taken this thesis in everything that we evaluate, you know, with Mark and you know at, at Portal is what gives tokens value. What's the longevity of the sustainable economic system these value adhere themselves to. So let's talk, take digital finance, for example, in this world, right? We've talked about this in our show in the past. A lot of, you know, comparing blockchain and layer one protocols are giving them a nation state status. We've, again, dedicated a whole whole episode on this. An ability to attract talent and capital from around the world and essentially obliterating the concept of of a credential to enter a country and cross-border exchange and commerce. It's inherently in these networks, which means that Bitcoin and Ether and many of the emerging layer one protocols are global systems. And as long as you have a participative structure and you're able to earn, you're able to then utilize the same networks to, again, financialize your thing of value, whatever that token may represent. And expanding this thinking to ability to connect various economic and value systems. And I use both economic and value systems because NFT truly are value systems. Unlike fungible tokens, which have defined valuation mechanisms, NFTs are, you know, as you know, you know, I in the you know, in the IOB holders, you know, so to speak. And as mm-hmm. I'm think about framing this, I'm looking to define the ability to traverse this thing of value, which is manifested in the form of a token, across various ecosystems and seamless exchange that with you know with built-in trust. So putting this into real terms, I could be a gamer or have a digital art, be it with VR world or traditional exchange ability to move across from a gaming, to exchange the price sword that I may have in a game to a tokenized security, that I can change that to synthetic security in future, take a sword, which is unthinkable today, and is what I would label as financial services in metaverse, right? And, and I have envisioned the world where the next generation, I take my son, for example, and he's my, He's my source of inspiration, but also source of yes. what's yet to come. Uh, he views, like, for example, you could have a wallet, and the wallet could have traditional payment instruments. A wallet could have NFT. wallet could have Bitcoin, Ether. And you could go buy a coffee or, to, or, or, or you know, let's say synthetic securities, and you could buy a coffee with it. And you may choose to pay it by, you know, your Apple stock. And behind the scenes, ability for me to convert Apple stock into into, into USD or, or, or stable coin, for example, and pay for the coffee. Uh, it's the, that to me is true sense of metaverse. So suddenly I'm traversing from sword to these different tokenized assets to buy coffee in the real world yes. uh, seamlessly. And there's a market there's an exchange mechanism and there are all the things tied into it uh, without going to the complexity of our existing exchange system that we, that we do. And I'll say one more thing before I pause Ooh. is at the end of, the day, we are providing things like value discovery, buying and selling and borrowing and collateralization, which are essentially financial primitives, right? Essentially, the f- entire financial systems, more sophisticated financial systems, are based on these basic primitives. So, financialization of NFT, in my opinion, is the first step in that journey because fungible tokens are financial instruments and native to digital finance, whether it's a token, whether it's Bitcoin now has reached a certain Uh, gravitas and you have of course the stable coins these are all financial instruments the moment we begin to look into this again the intertwined nature of our talent and our gaming and everything else to me completely changes the business model on you know upside down and that is something which i think is enormously valuable going forward as this industry settles i'll pause at that Derek, to see if if that makes sense
0: that's a fascinating fascinating insight and you know, to use your example of your son saying, I can have a wallet with all this in it. I sense that he can have that wallet because it's distribution frictionless. So it's like turning up to your cafe and saying, I have half a ton of wheat and I have, I have a certain amount of iron ore and I've got a little bit of gold and I'd like to buy a coffee with it. And they'd laugh because, of course, all of that is, is not distribution frictionless. It's all problematic. It's physical, stored somewhere, charged somewhere. Unless you're, unless you're trading some sort of derivatives on it, um, which the cafe's not going to be able to know how to, you can't do it. But in this environment, you really can. So those yep. commodities could well be um, you know, an Ethereum as a commodity. They might consider yep. that. And, and it could well be a variety of, of currencies, your art collection, a tiny fraction of your home that you've decided to mortgage, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but it's the fact that it's frictionless means that it's totally tradable. And that's really powerful. And then, of course, that changes business models, because business models are based on distribution challenges. And, you know, they're based on intermediaries and institutions and other things that are enabling the distribution of these things.
1: All of a sudden, they're not there. Yeah, you no. Know, I, I, so, you know, one thing struck to me as you're describing this, uh, Derek, and absolutely, in fact. I think as a good dad, I'm teaching my son about finance and oh, I think I'm a good dad. I'm, he's no, he's the ultimate judge of it. But the whole thing <laughs> is that we look into teaching him banking, and then I have an account account for him on PayPal, and then I have another account on, on investment bank. And he's asking why do I need all these accounts? That's his fundamental premise. And he tells me that iTunes does pretty much or Apple wallet does pretty much all that he wants to do. And then I had to sit and explain to him, like, look, these are in- investment instruments, these are but he said, Dad, at the end of the day, they all have value. They're all, I can buy and sell. I can do all these things. I said, yes, that's the point. And I think there's a lot of truth to that, that whether we're doing investments today, or we using PayPal for payments, are we using our banking to keep our deposit and accepting paychecks? Um, my question then becomes, do we need all these classification of different types of financial institutions? And as we can see from this DeFi end and the world that we're creating from a digital finance perspective, these are all collapsed services. We have seen that, again, emergence of, again, Coinbase and Binance and and Krakens of the world. These are vertically integrated financial systems. They're prime brokerage. They are uh, bank because they do provide deposits with USD. They are exchanges. They are custodians, which today is a complicated, you know, the capital market infrastructure or the market structure behind capital markets is quite distributed. Uh, Some of them is to, to create opacity, but it also created fraud. It also created challenges. But something struck to me, as you mentioned this, <laughs> um, if you look at, for example, what has happened with Uber, so there was a whole movement of this web 2.0 going to the new level of uh, capitalizing on underutilized economy. So you have a car, you're not driving it, if you can Uber it, you can make money from it. So extracting more value and squeezing yeah. out, uh, whether it's our time or whether it's our resources, whether it's my vehicle, Tax rabbit has this thing to say, I can run rents for you and so on and so forth. And I think that as you describe this commodity element, because commodity is collateral, collateral is things of value. Are we not then facilitating the ability for me to tokenize this to really extract additional inefficiencies from let's say coffee and wheat example that you gave is truly bringing this to the global scale that suddenly now <clears throat> there's no opacity in demand supply curves because we are building global systems and you take this uberization model to the next level because now you know, based on, again, we discuss efficient market hypothesis, there's enough information about the supply and quality of these assets around the world. Uh, I think it's profound. It's, it's, uh, if we were to get to the point that we are facilitating real-time assets, which means I can go to my local market, give the wheat that I may have, get a token value of it and go and exchange that with buying a real estate in New York, uh, a tokenized, fractionalized real estate. I think that is phenomenal that it's Taking the entire bar system and you, you're dealing with communities that you understand. Mm. But it also, I think, in my opinion, elevates human understanding and human collaboration, which is more yes. important that suddenly now you feel a sense of ownership in a small piece of real estate, as little as $100 in New York, even though you may have never been to New York, but you have a sense of ownership in that ecosystem and you're collaborating between a farmer financing my mortgage, which is unthinkable in this day and age. You know, a middle class school teacher in, in india for you know financing my raise at a, at a lower cost because the cost of capital now is at a global level not in money markets and in, mm. in localized economies and i find that just enormous uh, in terms of how much value can be extracted and, and 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 that to me is just baffling i think
0: i agree and 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 i've often said And I still stand by this. And, of course, as time progresses, you might turn around and say the next is the greatest thing. But I think the greatest outcome so far of what we've seen that's been built upon distributed ledger technology has been the potential to truly democratise assets, borderlessly democratise assets. What sort of social impact does that have? It, It does have fantastic social impact because you'll be able to see somebody in Cambodia who's saved up $100 investing in uh, an asset uh, that's providing a return of 10% per annum, could be traditional or a new technology business model. uh, and, And that asset could be run or managed or physically in some other country, totally borderless. No one's asking them who they are. No one is telling them whether they have the right to own it or not. And they can start building their wealth for them and their family, wherever they are in the world with any asset in the world. And that, to me, I think we're going to see real change in um, smart, well-educated developing countries because of their access to this uh, is going to be able to empower them and, and really put them ahead of, of maybe those countries that are becoming too complacent in, in their knowledge base. Uh, it, that's exciting. Um, and I, I just, I guess the other sense of it is, is that if you if you do see this tremendous growth occurring it's actually organically occurring no okay. no one is singularly directing this web 2.0 was fascinating because we got to see you know facebook and communication companies etc and then they set up banking systems and they set up other they had strategies and they're all intending to try and own sections of this in this particular case the person that has the, the zero knowledge identification that's been set up, the, the group that has turned around and provided um, digital ac- um, access to real estate um, has never thought that someone might swap it for coffee.
1: Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And, you know, what's interesting, as you also mentioned this, Derek, is uh, when I meet a lot of our clients who are large financial institutions, uh, and this is not in the context of buying the real estate, Derek, even though I think it will be great to, to have apartments in these amazing buildings that have amazing location because they're part of the large banking ecosystem, <laughs> is the question, that we, the question that we are asking them is, so two things have popped up. What is a metaverse strategy? Suddenly now you begin to see titles of head of metaverse, whatever that means. Uh, and, and I alf- oftentimes challenge that a question to say, hey, we are in metaverse. I'm like, if you can explain me the business model metaverse, very, I'll be very impressed. But I don't think any financial institution in the world truly has a handle on this. And it's you know, it's not a bad thing, because I think we all are trying to understand how this is unfolding and, and how can we sort of extract value. So there are two elements to this, right? One element is providing these financialization of various type of non-traditional assets. And what can banks do to preserve their incumbency of being the you know the custodians or being sort of the arbiters of uh, value exchange mechanism that they have done whether it's collateralization borrowing, lending the basic primitives as we talked about earlier Mm -hmm. but what's interesting i think is the nouveau riche and i think we talked about actually infinity which is the same concept as people are playing games and able to exchange and feed themselves it's a perfect Mm -hmm. example of what metaverse is meant to do and i also look at this to say well, there are a whole new breed of new millionaires and new billionaires being created in this ecosystem. Even they need banking services. So while they're very much part of this participative economics, they understand Web3O, they are building their interesting projects. But there's a human limitation of being able to understand your domain and your expertise and relying upon others who have other, you know, other expertise. So if there's a billionaire who has a gaming project, he, he, he or she would still need help with managing their tokens, managing their money, managing the wealth they've accumulated, which is where historically banks have come into play. So my conversations in terms of understanding and putting arms around, this is not just about uh, you trying to take advantage of digitizing your banking services and and building new rails, building new infrastructures uh, to move things and detecting fraud and all these other things that we look into that. But I'm like, that's a new customer base that you don't currently have and at the end of the day, client acquisitions, having access to rich clients and having access to ability to manage wealth contributes to the bottom line of most financial institutions. So my thinking around is don't get mired into layer one technologies and let's not debate between which protocol is better on the other. I think let's figure out as to what is the role you would want to play as this ecosystem is evolving and the, the financialization is pervasive because we are exchanging value around the globe. Um, and the other challenge from that, Derek, is that, uh, you know, regulators really have no perspective or clue around this yet, even though that there's been very earnest in there. So, which means that if you're truly building a global bank and we are, have talked about this, these are global systems, then what does it mean for, let's say a JPMC bank, which was in the news for opening a bank in Metaverse? Are you providing banking services to a customer in Vietnam or, let's say in our case, uh, a school teacher in India or farmer in Uganda who, is, who wants to buy real estate in, in, in New York. And can they provide the services? Do they have adequate measures with KYC? And these are complicated issues. So how do you, you know? And, and I think we start small, we localize this, we do all the right things from the perspective, but to me, you're dealing with a whole new class of customers, not us, maybe our children, you know, our next generation and, and the generation after that. And you need to be prepared to be able to provide these financial services, understand the risk models of the various tokens and what needs to do in terms of keeping it safe, collateralizing it. I think these are the challenges that the traditional finance, after they sell those buildings for apartment complexes, <laughs> uh, is something that they need to consider, in my opinion, or not, which means that there'll be new, newer banks, the novo banks which are digital only banks are providing these services natively in in metaverse and that again we've seen that with savings and loans we've seen with you know many of the sort of obsolete concepts uh, eventually you know being forgotten uh, that may happen uh, and and i think it's best to be prepared from that perspective if that makes sense it does make sense so listen
0: you know, the people that are listening, I mean, in, in some ways, you're talking to financial professionals there and the, and the existing um, traditional institutions. And, and, you know, those that are listening online might be going, hmm, um, many of them, of course, aren't listening online at all. They're just doing traditional transactions on a daily basis and working out what the fee is. Um, but for those that aren't that, for those that are just fascinated by this space and its, inter- and its interconnectedness and interaction, yeah. how should they step into Metaverse and participate just to open the door and start understanding it.
1: Yeah, no, and I wrote an article on this, in my previous article, in terms of the fact that one thing, if we are assuming Web3O to be be driven and led by participation, and and that's what's lacking today. I think all people are doing is buying and selling tokens. Mm. Um, And so I think that, you know, while many of the projects that you see have the promise of Web3O, they are still delivering Web2O services, which over time, there'll be a breakage because the, our expectation from Web3O is quite different. So if I buy a token and that token blacklists me on, let's say, a marketplace like OpenSeas, which is a centralized system, and now with, again, example of Yuga and Larva Labs being centralized systems, um, by owning an NFT on these platform does not necessarily give me the same powers that we envisioning from Web3O perspective. So one thing that I have consciously done, because, you know, we all have only so much time in the day, is begin to now Look into creating stuff, whether it's creating economic models, token economic systems, and these are things that I can rely on my own skills because I'm not an artist, I'm not certainly can't sing, I certainly can't play any instruments. So we have to come with what we can contribute, right? So I'm thinking of, again, at at uh, at Avalanche conference that I'm this week, uh, we talked a lot in terms of talent and what can we do in running nodes and running validated nodes. I may not be running in my 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 garage or basement, but I can certainly get a node and block daemon, for example, and participate in, in that system. And f- so to me, I'm looking at this as a very small scale stuff is what can I do to participate in this? And it could be in DeFi terms. You can certainly buy a De- DeFi token and experiment with uh, engaging in in lending and borrowing and, and extracting sort of the high yield accounts and so on and so forth, which is quite different, it is one way in my opinion to learn uh, these elements and slowly scale up as we understand and as we get interested and get sucked into the space mm-hmm. would be my advice. And I'm actually made a decision this week because I was so energized and so motivated that while I'm writing these articles and building business models and looking at the layer one protocols and cryptography as a technologist, I think I'm going to go move up a notch a little bit and start creating my own mining nodes, which I have not done historically because of the cost structures and, and energy to simply understand because, you know, unlike Bitcoin mining, many of the validator nodes are not that expensive. And I think that gives me an interaction of fully understanding what I have been professing, which is having a node, getting tokens, figuring out if I need to store data and have true participation sense of, of, of leveraging these projects and understanding them fully. So that's my task for the next few months to see how, then I'll, I'll report back to Derek as to how that's going.
0: So so that's a solid task, Nitin. Um, for those that don't think that they can start their own node and start mining, <laughs> but are still fascinated about this space. Uh, there's probably one or two of them in the audience. Um, how do you think they can start? Now, I've often said it's quite simple. You just get off the exchanges. In other words, just stop trading tokens. Open a yep. wallet, buy yep. some, buy some NFTs, um, and start exchanging and getting involved with what's happening out there. Yep. Um, in regards to the Metaverse and Superworld, you might remember we had a fabulous yep. um, webinar with uh, with the Managing Director of Superwell yep. World, and and people started buying real estate in Superworld. Yep and, uh, and I, i'll never forget because one of my friends bought the Rotnest island hotel which is an island just off <laughs> perth and i was very very annoyed about it because it was a brilliant idea and he bought it for like uh, you know 150 dollars um whether he's going to be, um, whether he's going to make a great deal of money out of it, but he's hell of, he's got bragging rights. That's one thing for yeah. sure. Um, so, so how does one step into this? Should they buy a little bit of land in decentralized? Yeah. No, no financial advice, but should they? Should how should they step into this metaverse to start learning about it?
1: Yeah, I, I did. I bought Austin Airport. I bought Antarctica because I've had been to Antarctica, and so I did those. And it was very cheap considering its a continent. Uh, I spent three hundred bucks to buy Antarctica on Superworld. And Harish was a good friend of mine. Uh, we talk yes. about this quite often. I think those are all the right points, though uh, I'm still not writing off exchanges because exchanges gives us uh, entry points. Uh, to use yeah. your terms, Derek, on-ramping, off-ramping, uh, just like what banks have done for exchanges. I think exchanges still give us an avenue and institute an understanding of what the tokens are. But I, I would agree with you. I think you know opening a custodian, non-custodian wallet, understanding the difference between the two, uh, getting into owning an NFT. But I would I would say this, though, whenever I'm buying an NFT, I have to ask myself, it, it could be something as small as $150 or or $300. Mm-hmm. Is why am I doing this? And I sometimes view that as a cost, It's a tuition payment, as a cost to learn. Mm-hmm. That I'll buy this to see what I can do with it and wh- how can I manifest this. And I've lost a bunch of money because I've either missed, misplaced my keys or moved to a different wallet and I forgot the seed phrase. And all these are common problems that, that we uh, that we are dealing with. But to me, I would view that as a cost of education as opposed yes. to get rich quick, uh, which again, you know, the stronger understanding we have, the convictions we have. And to that, all the things that you mentioned, plus more, um, is, is the best first step you all can take, I think.
0: Yeah. Agreed. So that brings us to the end because this is something that frankly, we could start all over again and continue this conversation because it is so large. It is exponential, as you say. Um, sure. But we will, we will continue with these topics in future podcasts. I think for now, my gut feeling as an investor is, you know, short the banks and long digital assets. <laughs> but that's not investment <laughs> advice, please. But look at what's coming for crying out loud. If you can't see it, then you're, you're not listening to this program or you're not, you don't have your eyes open. Uh, it's a yeah. rapidly growing space. Uh, regulations not showing itself to be as aggressive as we thought it would be another topic another program Um, but it is actually really quite encouraging we uh, we love the space of course Uh, we welcome your comments along the way Um, and we'll see you next week Nitin and maybe you can give us an update on how how the avalanche conference has gone there in Barcelona you lucky fellow
1: absolutely thank you so much Derek I can talk for this for hours and days so but you know we have to keep it short but uh, thanks again and and let's chat next week.
0: Terrific. See you then. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please feel free to connect with either Nitten or myself on Nitten at portal.am or Derek at portal.am. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week. Bye for now.